Now, that first passage, if you've come to it for the first time, or if you're not aware of the, uh, the Jewish way of doing things, wouldn't it strike you as very strange, that last verse? Very out of place? You have the climax of Jesus' life and ministry, his death upon the cross, and it says, and the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Does that seem like an anticlimax to you? Does it seem very strange? I mean, how are the two connected? Are they connected? Was it a, a special curtain? So, well, actually it was. You see, the temple in Jerusalem, the big worship place, the the place where people came to worship, and it had outer courtyards like we do, but the, the actual worship place in the temple was in two parts. There was the holy place where all of us would, would be sitting and there was the most holy place, the really special place. And that's where God is. God is there and he's up the front. But between the two, there's this huge curtain and uh, if you imagine three times as high as, as the top of the screens there. Huge. Sort of like um, if you go to the entertainment centre at Sutherland, the, the blacks there, the curtains there, they're, they're about the same height. Huge things. And thick. Hands breadth thick, about four inches or, or you know, ten centimetres in the new money. Really thick, and they were, they were blue and purple and red. They used to say, not in the Bible, but some of the Jewish writers uh, in the time used to say, if you've got an ox on one attached to one side and an ox on the other and, and, and give them a good whipping, they couldn't tear it apart. That's how, that's how strong it was, how thick it was. And the fact is, if you're here, sitting with everyone else, and you're looking to this curtain, you can't see anything. You can't see through it. God's there, and we're here, and never the two will meet. Because no one's allowed behind the curtain. Well, almost no one. So what's the significance of that? The significance is that the curtain represents sinfulness and the consequences of being in rebellion against God is that you can't get to him anymore. You're separated from him. Way back at the beginning, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, God came into the garden hoping to spend an afternoon with them and he said, where are you? I can't see him anywhere. They said, we're hiding because we're ashamed of ourselves. Sinful nature just can't get on with purity. God made them skin so they could wear because 
their own endeavours to cover up weren't good enough. The, the, uh, the aprons they sewed out of fig leaves. Later on, at the time of Moses, when he was getting the Ten Commandments, he'd meet with God. And when he came down, his face was shining. It's just the reflected goodness of spending time with God. And what are the people they said? It's too bright. We can't stand this. Put a veil over your face. And so he'd have to put a veil over his face because he was just too bright for them. It was like, if we were to meet God, it's like looking into the sun. It's just too much. If you've seen the Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know at the end the ark opens up and the purity of God comes out and melts everyone. That's a really good illustration of things. I'm not endorsing the theological uh, uh, implications of the rest of the movie or the historical ones and certainly you can't avoid things by shutting your eyes. But the, 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 the idea, the power that purity exhibits when it meets sinfulness, that's very good. That's very accurate. And so we have this curtain, this huge curtain. And I said no one can go behind it. Once a year, one person, the high priest, could go behind the curtain. And what he would do is he'd wash himself, get himself clean, he'd wear special robes that was only worn that once a year, and he'd make a sacrifice of an animal, and he'd take the blood and he'd go behind the curtain and he'd, he'd throw the blood around and he'd go to where God lived, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, the, it was called the Mercy Seat. And there he'd make a sacrifice for the sins of the, his own sins and for the sins of the people. But you know something? It never actually worked. It, it was never supposed to work. It was always a band-aid. It wasn't a cure. Because he'd come out afterwards and he'd have to go in again the next year because people were still sinful. And he'd come around from around the curtain and if you were in the congregation there, you still couldn't see God. God was still cut off from you. So if it didn't work, why do it? Why did God set up the system of sacrifices? He said, well, it's sometimes described as a shadow. And saying, look, all this thing is not the reality. It's the shadow. If you like, it's a blueprint. It's saying, have a look at this, and then when the real thing comes, you'll recognise it. It's a band-aid now, but there's definitely a cure coming. So do you begin to see where the curtain starts to fit in 
with the crucifixion. And there's one other thing. At the, at the end of the crucifixion, it says, the curtain tore from top to bottom. So it wasn't the people down here, just with or without oxen to help, deciding, we want to see God. We, we want to get to him. Right, let's rip this apart. No, they weren't saying that. And they weren't saying, oh, look, sin doesn't matter. Um, we're good enough. We can see God. We'll push our way through. No, it wasn't that. It wasn't them saying, we don't need you know, any sacrifices. No one has to die. Nothing has to die to put things right. No, it wasn't us. It was the work of God. God was sick of being cut off from us. He wanted to be with us, to spend time with us, to share with us, to once and for all get rid of this problem that was cutting us off from him. And so he sent Jesus. We've just had Christmas. And we celebrate Christmas, but we only celebrate Christmas because of Easter because of what it meant when Jesus came. Because he came and he spent time with us, he taught, he healed, he showed love, he related to each other, related to, each, to us. And then he went to the cross. And the first <coughs> thing that's said there on the cross as he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's at that point that Jesus knows what it's like to be this side of the curtain, to be cut off from God. Because he'd left, led a life of obedience. He hadn't been a sinner. <coughs> but on the cross, he took our sin. He took the, the separation that was rightly ours, he took it on himself. And the, the death, which is just permanent separation from God, he took that on himself too. And Mark doesn't record, it says he gave a loud cry and died. He doesn't say what it is, but the other records of the crucifixion do, do say his last cry was, it's finished. Now, not, I am finished, I'm dying. It's finished. What I have come to do, I've done. I've done it. I've reconciled people with God. I found a solution to the problem of sin and death. I've done it. And the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Wonderful. Wonderful. But what does that mean then? If, if God's done everything, 
There's nothing for us to do. If it's all a gift, what remains? What do we have to do about it? Well, we've just had Christmas, so I expect you've all had a fair bit of practice with what to do with gifts. Who's still got gifts under the tree? Anyone? It could happen if you're waiting for family members, something like that. But generally, they're not still there, are they? What do you do with gifts? You open them. You accept them. You use them. You enjoy them. And you're thankful to the giver. The writer to Hebrews says this. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, his body is the way through the curtain, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure waters. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Where there was no way, there's a new way. Where there was a way of death, now there's a living way. So, we should all draw closer to God through this new way. Now, I've asked three people to come up the front. Thank you, June and Joe and Barbara. No, no, oh, Oh, well, turn around so they can see your pretty faces. Okay, so I've asked them to come close here in the front. What else has happened? They came, yes. I'm blocked out, yes. That's a a bit of serendipity there. It wasn't part of the plan. But what else? They're together, they've cut, thank you very much. That was the point I was, they've got, okay, you can go and sit down now. They, they've got closer to each other. And if we draw close to God, we can't do it without drawing close to others who are drawing close to God. In fact, the very next sentence in that passage on Hebrews is this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. God wants to spend time with us. He wants us to learn from him. He longs to share with him. But he also wants us to share with each other. It's his way that as we love one another, as we encourage one another, as we do good deeds together, 
That is, as we live as a church, we get to know God better. And we it's just not possible to draw close to God without drawing close to each other. So then, as we start a new year, as we think of a Christmas just past, let us commit ourselves to drawing close to God through that way that Jesus opened up and draw closer to each other while we do so. Amen.